puppy up, I guess. All right, we'll be in Acts 17. It's probably about the last thing that we do in Acts. Uh, we've been going through it for the past month or so, the book of Acts, and we're going to end with the, the church. Again, the whole book of Acts we know is, is kind of based on the birth of the church, where the church came from, what the church is supposed to do. So what we're going to end up with is the possibilities that the church has. There are tons of possibilities for the church, for each one of us to do something to glorify God, to get the, the, uh, the, the gospel out, to preach, to teach, to sing, to mentor, to minister, all these things that the church is able to do. We're going to look at it here at the tail end of the book of Acts. We're not really the tail end. It's chapter 17. We've got a ways to go. But we're going to look at some things that we can do to be the church, to go be the church. One, I was at a church one time. And as you walked out the back door, there was a sign above the back door that says, Go be the church. And I thought that's one of the greatest things that we can say as a church or as the church would be, Go be the church. When you leave here, take this with you. Because the church is not four walls. Church can be anywhere. You can have church at Walmart. I've been with my dad and watched him have church at a funeral home one time in the middle of viewing. We can have church anywhere we go. But the thing is, we have to go be the church. We have to go be the church. I don't know if you guys play much sports or anything like that, but it's really nice to be a part of a winning team. You think about that, a winning team. When Abby started out, yeah, you know what I'm going to say this. When softball season started this year, they were, they were actually looking really good. You guys were going in and, and having an actual winning season for the first time in five years, I think, something like that, six years. So they were actually started out good. Started out of the gates, it was good. I was up in the booth announcing, and I just I was excited for them. It was good just watching them play. They played well. Things changed a little bit later, and it ended up not being so much of a winning team, winning season, but they looked good during that. Of course, I'm a kid of the 90s, so James will be there with me when it's talked about Cowboys. You know, that's, we're Cowboys fans, Braves fans. That was back when in our heyday. It's, we enjoyed it. Loved being a part of, because you felt like it. You're a part of a winning team. And that's what, that's what you like. You like winning. It feels good to win. Everybody wants to win. Whatever you're doing, you want to win in it. A few, I don't know how long ago it was, but I played, uh, I played men's softball. A bunch of us at the fire department got together and had a softball team. And we played 12 games that season, and we went 0-12. 0-12. If you don't keep up with numbers, let me explain that to you. We lost 12 times. That's 0-12. Now, did we blow it? No, we didn't blow it. We would lose by two or three runs. But at the end of the game, it would be like 21 to 23. 23 to 25. I mean, we were, we were scoring. But when we left, we felt like we just won a championship because we put up such a fight. Did we win? No. Did we feel like we win? Went? Yeah, absolutely. We felt like we was winning, but at the end we didn't make it. We didn't make it into the, any type of bracket to, for any type of championship. But at the end of the game, you thought we were champions. That's the way we wanted to feel. We were a team. We worked together. We worked well. When you're part of a winning team, you feel good about what's going on. So listen, you and I are part of a winning team. Each one of us. As a Christian, not a member of any particular church, but as a member of the church, Amen. we are part of that winning team. The Bible tells us that 
We are the church. We are the body of Christ. That is a winning team. We are a family. Not only are we a team, but we are a family. We're a family of God. We are brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter where we came, come from. We are brothers and sisters. So that makes us part of a winning team, which goes along with the theme for Bible school this year. This is the spot on this whole week I've been studying. I'm trying not to take away from the Bible school because there's so much I want to use right in the, the lessons for Bible school. But we are part of a winning team. They were, I don't know if y'all have seen it yet or not, but they've done jerseys out there. And it is, I love it. They've done it, was it 12 disciples minus Judas. And we got the Holy Ghost. We got Jesus. We got God. And I was picking on Tabitha last week. They actually do listen on Sunday because the Holy Spirit's number is 50. Some of y'all might remember that. Pentecost, Penta, 50. So they called the Holy Spirit 50. That's when it come down. You'll get it later. <laughs> Bill Gaither. I, I'm not a Bill, big Bill Gaither fan. I'm not a, a fan. Well, we won't get into that because that'll get political. But he wrote a song one time, and it's called The Church Triumph, and I'm going to read you a couple of verses right here. It says, let the church be the church, let the people rejoice, for we've settled the question, we've made our choice. Let the anthems ring out, songs of victory swell, for the church is triumphant, is alive and well. Amen. I think he nailed that one right there. You know, we are alive and well. The church really is alive and well. We're not growing like we want to. Now, I'm not talking about this church, I'm saying in general. Because the church, Christianity, has become a minority. We're not seeing churches grow anymore. We see more churches compromising and bringing things in to try to grow, but it's not working because God's not blessing it. He's not going to bless a mess, and he's not going to bless a compromise either. But the church still is alive. God's people are still alive. We're still moving. We're still trying. We're trying to be the church everywhere we go. Do you know why it's alive and well, though? Jesus told us why it was alive and well. Over Matthew, he told us, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And then he told him, he said, because he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's why it's alive and well. Because of nothing. The Bible tells us over in Romans, Paul tells us over in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he said, for there's nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing out there that can separate us. So if God truly loves us and we know that he does, and if we truly love God, and I hope you do, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing because this church is built on love. It is built on the rock, and the rock is Jesus. And there's nothing that can tear us down. Now, can it hinder us? Yeah, the devil's going to throw a wrench in every now and then. He's going to make it a little bit hard on us. It's going to happen. Nothing through salvation says that the devil's going to leave you alone. Through salvation, we know the devil's going to make it a little bit harder on us. But that's why we're alive and well because of the way, the, the way that the structure was built. You want a good, firm, solid foundation when you build a house. You don't want your house to fall over. It gets you a bad reputation. Wasn't it, Mike? You, you got one? Is that what you said? Oh, we haven't talked about that. I do want to know who built your house, though. <laughs> we, you don't want that builder to build another house if he's going to build it on soft ground. You want it built on solid ground so that it, the gates of hell shall not prevail. So the winds will not prevail and knock it down. So when, 
when the storms of life hit, it's not going to knock you down. It's not going to shake you up. You're going to be built on solid ground. That's what we want. Today we're going to look at the possibilities that the church has. We're going to look at the possibilities that Chestnut Dale has. We're going to look at possibilities that the church has. There's great possibilities out there. When the church is truly being the church, we're going to make a huge impact. We're going to make an impact on each other. Inside the church, outside the church, we're going to make an impact on the community around us. We're going to make an impact on the state that we're in, the country that we're in. But what really matters is when we make an impact, we're going to make an impact on the kingdom of God. It has all to do about Jesus. Everything that we do, the impact that we make in this world, it's all about Jesus. Give him the glory for everything that takes place. The impact that we make is going to be an impact for the kingdom. If you've got your Bible, stand with me just a moment. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went into, in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging, and I like this, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude of the chief women, not a few, but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out, uh, uh, to, out to the people. Verse 6 says, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren, and two rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down, are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken uh, uh, security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Conley, would you open us up, please? have a seat. So early on in the book of Acts, Peter and John are seen the most. That's early on. You got Peter, you got John. Later on we'll get into it and read a little bit about it last week. We see Barnabas, we're going to see Stephen, or we've seen Stephen, and we've seen Philip, and, and a few others. And then this new guy shows up at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, and his name is Saul. And so we see this little thing about Saul here, and he starts sharing the gospel, the Bible says in uh, in, in verse nine, or chapter 9, he says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. That's, that's Paul, or Saul's time, preaching. And then he kind of fades away for a little bit. Then he comes back. He shows back up chapter 13. And then from 13 on through the next 16 books, it's all, it's all about Paul. Well, it's about Jesus, but it's Paul that they're writing about here. So when we get into what we're reading today, Paul went on three missionary journeys. Three great journeys. We, we finished that up Wednesday night here um, in the 
Bible study, we, we looked at his, his journeys, which is amazing. If you look at that trek that he made, it's, it's, it's just huge. But here we are looking at this, these journeys. In chapter 17, he's in the middle of the second journey. And he stopped in Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki now, that's what it's called, to preach. And he went into the synagogue. And the Bible tells us that he went in for reason with them three different, three different Sabbaths, three different days. Not, not over a three-day span, but three different Sabbaths. So he went in for three weeks to reason with them, to talk to them, to start up a dialogue with them, to get them to asking questions, to hear about the Word of God. He wanted to get involved with the church. And you know, Paul, every time that he went somewhere, he always found that the first thing he did was he found the synagogue. He went to the synagogue. i got to find a place where I can get in and preach. i got to know where to start. And so that's what he did. He went into this, the synagogue here, and he spent three Sabbaths preaching and trying to reason with them according to the Bible. And he would preach the gospel. And then he would discuss it with them. That's one thing about Paul. He didn't just go in and love them and leave them. He went in, he loved on them, and he stayed around to, to, to discuss it with them and to explain it. It's kind of like uh, the eunuch. You know, he, he, was, he was reading, but he didn't understand what he was reading. And so Philip came in, and he was able to explain it to him. And then he was saved and baptized. And Paul was doing the same thing. Paul would go in, and he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he would preach, and he would preach it hard, Christ crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then he didn't just walk out and leave them wondering. He talked to them. He explained more to them about it. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church or as preachers especially, is to not just get up here on a Sunday morning and preach the gospel and go home. If there be one that needs to be instructed, it needs more detail about it, we're to explain it to them. Give them more detail behind it. Paul's doing the same thing. Because there's so much for us to unpack right here. You can't just read a little bit of Acts 17 and go home. You can't just read the book of Acts. You can't just read the Bible and go home. You're going to have questions. So Paul hung out and stayed around for a while to explain it to them. And that's where we've seen a lot of conversions take place, not just, not just through his preaching, but as he broke it down for them. And he explained the love of God through Jesus Christ to them. And he's seen salvation. He started by, by, and he's smart, started by taking the Old Testament writing, which uh, verse 2 says the scriptures. He took the, like the Torah. He took it and he broke it down because you've got to get to know the people. The people knew the Torah. They knew the Old Testament. They knew it well. And so he got involved with them through the Old Testament teaching, and he was able to take the prophecy and unfold that prophecy to get him into Jesus' birth, Amen. death, and resurrection. He's a smart man. He knew how to do that. And he explained how Jesus fulfilled those scriptures. He began with where they were. That's how Jesus is. He, he comes to you as you are, just as I am, as the song says. Paul went to them as they were and what they knew, and then he moved to what they didn't know, and then he shared the gospel with them. That's a smart way to do it. He built it up and then handed it to them. Paul did three things right here. He explained to them. He explained what was going on, opening up the scripture. The Bible says to open up their minds and their soul to the truth of who Jesus is. He had to explain it to them. You can't just say Jesus loves you and walk away. Who is Jesus? That's exactly what a lot of them would want to say is who's Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah. 
So he broke it down and explained it to them a little bit better, a lot better, so that they would understand it. And then he proved to them. He started presenting and he started telling them the truth about why Jesus had to suffer. He explained to them what, what sin was, what the sins that we have are. He explained it to them in detail so that he could explain to them what the, 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 the death on the cross, what it entailed. Not just the death on the cross, but the persecution that came before it, which he knew a lot about. And then the death on the cross, but it wasn't just the death on the cross, it was the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of that death, that burial, that resurrection, Jesus Christ will save your soul. Because of him taking on the burdens and the sins of you on himself, he loves you enough to die on that cross. And he explained that to them. He had to, had to prove that to them. And then he had to explain to them as well what Jesus said over Luke 19. For I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Every one of them. Every one of them that he was talking to was lost. And he had to explain to them, you're lost, but Jesus came to find you. Jesus came to love on you. Jesus came to provide for you to have mercy on you, to provide grace for you. He came to do all this for you, for you. And the third thing he did is he had to proclaim it. He said, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. He said, hey, guys, this is the one that you've been waiting for. This is the one that you've read about for all these years in the Old Testament, in, in your Torah. This is what you've been reading about for centuries. He's here. He's been here. He's came, he's done, he's done what he was called to do. He was crucified, he was buried, he is resurrected, and he is now on the right side of the Father. He is sitting on the right side of the Father right now. He's done it all. This isn't just a casual passing statement for Paul. Paul didn't just pass by and say, hey, by the way, Jesus loves you, he died for you, and then move on. This statement was full of conviction. When, when Paul explained the death, burial, resurrection, when he explained love, mercy, and grace, when he did all this, he did this because he was convicted to do it. And through what he said, what he preached, what he taught, what he said, there was convic conviction would fall on these people that were listening. There was conviction on them, and that's what we talked about this morning before church. Salvation comes through conviction. The Holy Spirit has to draw you into that salvation. If Paul had not been Paul, if Paul had not preached love, if Paul had not preached uh, a, a crucifixion, if he had not preached Jesus the way that he preached it boldly, there would have been no conviction. Amen. These men and women were convicted because of his preaching and what Jesus done for them. Spurge, I love Charles Spurgeon quotes, but Spurgeon quoted another preacher one time. He said, I have never yet found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it. And if I ever do find one that has not a road to Christ in it, I will make one. I will go over hedge and ditch, but I would get at my master, as a capital M, for the sermon cannot do any good unless there is a savior of, or a savior of Christ in it. What we talked about, what Keith was preaching on, or teaching on this morning, is Esther. Because God's not mentioned in it. Prayer's not mentioned in it. 
but there is still Jesus in it because we talked about fasting. You'll never find anywhere in the gospel, anywhere in the Bible, and you should never hear a preacher preach if that message, that sermon does not have a road to Jesus in it somewhere. There has to be a road to Jesus in everything that we do. There is a way that, I, I think I've told you all this before, but we got visitors and they're going to hear this. When I worked at Samaritan's Purse, we had uh, Chris Swanson was there. Chris was the director of, uh, is he still there? He, no, he went to BG. He's, he's down at BG doing their Spanish stuff. But when he was there, he said, the one thing I like about Franklin Graham is the fact that somehow during the interview, he will get the gospel in. So and, and his, what he used was being interviewed by news media, whatever, CNN or whatever, which is hilarious. But he said, so, Brother Franklin, what kind of soft drink do you like? And he would say, Coke, because in John 3.16, it says that's the way Franklin would be. He'd find a way to present the gospel everywhere he goes. We are the same way. We need to be able to figure out a way to present the gospel in every conversation that we have. We have opportunity after opportunity. If you're working, if you go to Dollar General, you go to Dollar General three times a day like people in our house. If you go to, it never fails. If you go to Walmart, if you go to school, wherever you go, you have an opportunity to present the gospel, and you need to take advantage of it. Everywhere Paul went, he took advantage of it. Remember when he was in jail, had an earthquake, jailer getting ready to commit suicide, what did he do? He talked to him, preached to him a little bit, loved on him, said, don't do that, explained the gospel, he was saved, his house was saved and baptized. Every opportunity we run into, we have an opportunity to present the gospel. We have a road to Jesus in every, everything that we say, like Spurgeon said there. What Paul was doing is the exact same thing the church is supposed to be doing today. We are to meet people where they are, and we're to proclaim and explain the truth of the gospel to them. Well, the, you might be sitting there thinking, well, what's the, what's, the, what's the truth? What's the truth of the gospel? I can sum it up in one word. Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. Jesus. Jesus told us in John 14, Jesus saith unto them, For I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we know what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that. But then you go down here and Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I have delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Luke wrote over in Acts 4, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's nothing else. That's the truth. That's the gospel truth. Jesus is the truth. And so that's how we present the gospel, with truth, with Jesus, with love, out of compassion, out of concern. Because are, as a Christian, are we not concerned about the salvation of others? We ought to be. If you're not, there's something wrong. But we should have love and compassion and concern for those that we're around and proclaim the truth to those that we're around. Preach Jesus everywhere we go. We proclaim the gospel. We teach the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. We make disciples based on the, on the gospel. 
not based on what we think. We make disciples based on the gospel. We love others because of the gospel. We stake our lives on the gospel. Missionaries don't go out on their own to do their own thing. Missionaries go and do what they do because they have staked their lives on the gospel. We have lost missionaries because they have staked their lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say lost, having gained. They were martyred. They were killed for what they believed. But they did it out of love. We stake our lives on the gospel. This is the church being the church. When we do all of these things based on the gospel, this is the church being what the church is supposed to be. Loving, caring, again, concerned, compassionate. That's the church being the church. There are possibilities that come with the church being the church, though. Different possibilities. There's the possibility that we are going to upset folks. That's a, that's a huge possibility. We're going to upset folks. If you look over at verse, the first part of uh, verse 5, it says, But the Jews which believe not moved with envy. Moved with envy. When you start focusing solely on Jesus, you're going to upset folks. When you start preaching Christ crucified and love, let me back up. When you start preaching sin, that's where it starts. When you start preaching sin, you're going to upset folks because folks don't sin. In their eyes and their minds, they don't sin. I'm perfect. God made me perfect. I don't sin. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't do any of that stuff. I am perfect. But then you start calling out their sins, and they start not liking you. You can talk about God all day long. And when I say you can talk about God all day long, this is what I mean. When you say God, most people don't think of it as big G God anymore. They take his name in vain all day long right now. But when you just mention God, people just kind of ignore it and go on. And I found this, and I've been, I've been wanting to use this for a long, long time. One of our presidents said this. He closed out one of his State of the Union addresses. He said, may God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. That's how he ended the State of the Union. Everybody clapped. You know, yay, good job. But what if? Now, he had a platform. What if he closed out the State of the Union like this? May Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world, the only way to heaven, and the only begotten Son of the one, true living God, bless you. What if he had ended his State of the Union that way? We'd have seen some heads explode. We'd have seen a lot of people get extremely upset. Not because he mentioned God, but because he mentioned Jesus Christ. There's where that conviction comes in. Because there's all kinds of little G-gods out there now, so people just ignore it when they say God. But when you use the name of Jesus Christ, the name Jesus Christ is a convicting name, and it ought to be. The Holy Spirit uses that to convict people. When Paul preached, and he said, This Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ, the Jews went nuts. They went crazy. The Bible says they was filled with envy. They did not like that at all. We're going to be in the same boat. There's going to be places that you go that you can mention Jesus, and they are going to go nuts. They're going to go crazy. Be prepared for that. And you stick with the word, 
you back up everything that you're saying right here with the word of God. When you go in and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you preach it boldly and you stay on the word right here. Don't you veer off of it. You're going to make them mad. You're going to upset them. But when you do it out of love, when you do it out of love, you'll be blessed. I promise you that. Them Jews, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Them Jews, they just blew up. He's not the Messiah. The Messiah's not showed up yet. And they still don't believe it, by the way, if you didn't know that. Nothing's changed. They still don't believe it. Unbelievers will always be in opposition to Jesus. And those of, that, that of us who know him, those of us that love him, those of us that live for him, those of us that proclaim him, all right, they don't get it. Those, those folks don't get it, what we've got. And they ain't going to get it until they get it, if you know what I mean. They ain't got it yet, and they ain't going to get it until they get it. Those unbelievers may be religious, just like the Jews. Those people that were around on a daily basis, just think of them as the Jews. Those unbelievers don't get it yet. They don't want to get it sometimes. They, they may be government leaders like King Herod was who killed James and who, who put Peter in jail. Talked about that last week. They could be people that you work with. It could be people you go to school with. It could be uh, your own family. Remember, Jesus had that problem too with his own family. When the church starts truly being the church, we're going to upset folks outside the church. When we start doing what we are called to do, people are going to get mad. Now, there's also the possibility that, there's going to be, that we're going to experience trouble and heartache. Now, if you look at the last part of verse 5, it says, Set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Our world, our lives are full of trouble and heartache. There's confirmation on a daily basis. You can turn on the internet, you can turn on your TV, your radio, it don't matter what you listen to. You will, know, you will hear really fast that this world that we're living in is full of troubles and it's full of heartache. Our lives in general can be full of heart, troubles and heartaches as well. Paul and Jason were facing some serious trouble right there and some pretty serious heartache too. Look what was going on right here with them. A mob of, of wicked men was formed. The entire city was mad. The home of Jason was surrounded looking for Paul and Silas. The mob intended to hurt or maybe even kill both of them. And all of this was because of the preaching of the gospel. Because of the preaching of the gospel. This, we will uproar this world. We will uproar. I'm not going to say that we're going to get Avery County in an uproar. If we do, I apologize for all the calls and phone or emails that you're getting ready to get. This world will become, or will get in an uproar when the church starts being the church. When we start doing what Paul did in Acts, when we start doing what the disciples did, when we start doing what took place at Pentecost, when we start being like those individuals that were full of the Holy Spirit, and we start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we start preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected, we will make some people mad. We will make, I don't want to say enemies, but they ain't going to be our best friends. They're not going to invite us over for supper. We're going to make some people mad, all because they were doing what the church is supposed to do. 
If we do what we're supposed to do, we will make them mad. But remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle that we're in, and we're always going to be in. It's a spiritual battle between us and the devil. It's against the enemy. And he's growing more and more and more enraged with us every single day. Every single day. When we are, I know that during COVID, he was pretty tickled because we were not able to gather. And he used that. But now we're here. It makes him mad. Bible school. We're getting ready to kick off Bible school here in less than a month. And that's going to make him mad because we're going to have all these children coming in need to hear about Jesus Christ and they're going to hear Jesus Christ and they're going to hear him how much he loves them that's going to make him mad the church is going to be involved in that and he's going to get mad at us too and I promise you he's going to be really mad at me but that's all right I'm used to it he is constantly and intensely looking at every aspect of your life and he's trying to determine the best place to to tempt you he's he's trying to find a toehold is what he's trying to do I was watching a little video yesterday. I love to watch people climb rocks, mainly because I can't do it, and I just live through them. But there's this girl. She was climbing up a rock, and she did not have a harness on or any ropes. And that's what happens when, you climb a, when you're climbing rocks. You're looking for these little nook and crannies that you can get your fingernails or your toenails and all that stuff in so that you can continue to move up and reach your goal, which is the top of that mountain or whatever you're climbing. Same thing with the devil. He's climbing and he's looking for toeholds. He's looking for, for places where he can sink his nails into, his teeth into. He's looking for places that he can, can wiggle in there and make things worse for you. So that, and Because his goal is to destroy you. And so as he's climbing up that mountain, which is you, he's trying and aiming to destroy you. He's looking for the most vulnerable spots in your body so that he can tear you down. We've got to shut him down. But we can't just shut him down. When we shut him down, we have to shut him down in the name of Jesus. We can't just shut him down in the name of whatever your name is or the name of the church. We have to shut him down in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to end with this right here. I don't even know what you've got. That's not the way I was planning on ending with the show I was closing down last night I shut down my office or my, my study and I was trying to figure out the best way to, to end this and it dawned on me the thing that we do last what's the last thing that we do when we go before we go to bed at night maybe brush your teeth put on your pajamas fluff your pillow check Facebook one more time See what you missed? Most of us do this one thing, and we kind of share it at the house. Make sure the door's locked. We make sure that the door is locked. That's, that's what we want. We'll make sure that the door, the house is secure. Satan doesn't have to break down our doors anymore. We've left our doors wide open for him. At home and at church, in our lives, 
we have left the door wide open for the devil just to come on in. The devil has front row seats sometimes in a lot of our churches, in a lot of our homes. When we belly up at the table at home to eat supper with our families, a lot of times the devil's sitting right there with us, partaking in that meal, getting involved in our lives. There is a real possibility that we are going to see God move really soon. There's a good possibility that we see God move really soon. Even though the door's been unlocked and the devil's moved into our homes and our, our, our churches, we're going to see a great movement of God here real soon. You can't look at what's going on in the world right now and not see what's happening. He's, he's coming. Ready or not, here he comes. And when he does, we're going to turn this world upside down. The church is going to flip this world upside down. Can you imagine with all the Christians that are out there, all the churches that are in this world right now, can you imagine what we could do if we was to go back and be the church that the church at Antioch, the church at Pentecost was? Can you imagine what we would do? We would flip this world upside down if we would just get back to being the church that he has called us to be. It's going to take a lot of work. I'll tell you that right now. It's going to be painful in some parts. It's going to get messy. I promise you it'll get messy. There'll be tears shed, blood shed, loss of friends, loss of family members. But I promise you this, it's worth it all. Are you ready? The possibilities are great. The possibilities are limitless. everybody coming out this morning uh, like I said the, we've been going through the book of Acts and it's, it's been great I, I really enjoyed this I've enjoyed it this week getting ready for, for today but I want y'all to take it to heart this ain't just a, a sermon or a sermon series if you want to call it a series but there's a reason why the Lord want me to preach those there's a reason behind this we've got to get back to the basics the basics of the church the basics of what we believe we've got to get back to being the church, presenting the gospel, preaching the gospel, telling everybody we come in contact with, Jesus loves them. We love them. We've got to get back to what we're called to do. And we're called to be the church. We're called to make disciples. And we're called to build up the kingdom. Let's do that. Stand with me. We're going to close out. All these possibilities. Every one of us is out and about doing stuff all day long, different places, taking advantage of it. See what happens. Coming up here again. Oh, this is what he does. He listens to something else. I bet he's got Joel Osteen in. <laughs> Listening during church. 
All right, let's close out. Father God, we just want to come to you again this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, thank you for the possibilities that you've placed before us as individuals and as a church. God, where we may go out and tell the world that Jesus loves us. We can tell the world about your son Jesus Christ and that sacrifice on the cross, the bloodshed on the cross, the burial. Father, we can tell them about that resurrection. God, we can tell them how much you loved us to send your only begotten son and that he died just for them, just for each one of us. Father, I pray that you continue to provide us those opportunities, those those possibilities every single day as we go out in this world and we we go around house to house or we're shaking the hedges and going from doorpost to doorpost trying to tell the world how much your son loved them. I pray, God, you continue to open up those doors for us and those opportunities. Father God, I pray today that as we go about our business this week, that you would lead us, guide us, protect us in all that we do. Father, I pray that, again, that you would just open up opportunities for each one of us. We know. We know our days are limited here. We know that life is but a vapor. And there will be some that may not have many days left. And I pray that we can get to them, talk to them, witness to them, love on them, and help lead them to salvation through your son Jesus Christ. Thank you again for those that are here, and I pray, God, that you just protect them as they leave and go back home. And Father, I pray that you just bring us back here at the next appointed time. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.